with this particular word. Uh, so if you are new with us, uh, we're in the book of Ephesians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's in the New Testament. And we're just taking a few verses at a time. We're just going to look at a couple verses this morning. And so today, the topic I want to talk to you about is anger. I'm going to uh, talk fast and cover quite a bit of ground, but uh, just kind of letting you know, if you want the written transcript afterward, it won't be exactly, because I tend to go off my notes a bit, uh, but just let me know. I'll, I'll give you the, the notes. Um, this content is something not just to listen to now for you know 30 minutes plus, but to really digest and make it a part of your life. Uh, human anger has been a wrecking ball on planet Earth throughout every generation, really since the start. It has pulverized families, led to wars and mass shootings, caused people to kill members of their own family, fueled racial violence, split apart churches, separated the best of friends, and so on. In some cases, it has torn apart entire nations. No one is exempt from anger. It's true that some have a more visible outward anger, but even the quietest people who would never dare express their anger experience it inwardly. Anger is something we all have to deal with in ourselves, and once we become Christians, guess what? It doesn't immediately disappear. I found that out for sure. I was filled with rage as a teen and young adult and found that that root of anger was still very much in me after I became a Christian. Though it was subdued significantly, it was still something I had to deal with. So anger is as old as Cain and Abel. You guys familiar with Cain and Abel? Adam and Eve's sons, uh, brothers in the earliest days of humanity. You can read about their story in Genesis chapter 4. Here's just a few verses from the Genesis account. After they each brought an offering to the Lord. Let's watch what happens. The Lord had regard or received, was pleased with Abel and his offering. Uh, it was probably sheep because he was a sheep herder. But for Cain in his offering, he was a worker of the ground, vegetables and fruits. So he probably offered some vegetable and fruit. God was not pleased and had no regard and didn't receive the offering. Now we aren't told exactly, this is a side note, why God received Abel's offering and rejected Cain's, but it was probably because of the heart behind the offering. Cain's was uh, perhaps stingy or given only to outdo his brother in pride. Um, so back to the scripture, Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And if you have a Bible, an old school paper Bible, and aren't afraid to write in it, that's a good 
sentence to underline. God's question, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? And I think we all know how the story ends. Cain allures his brother out into a field, I suppose away from mom and dad, and murders him. This story tells us something of the horror of anger and where it can lead. And notice the very important question God asks Cain in his anger. Why are you angry? It's not that God didn't know, you know, like as if God doesn't know all things. But God was asking this question, as he often does. Jesus always knew the answers to the questions that he asked people. But he asked that question to Cain so that Cain could uh, perhaps get in touch with understanding the root reason for his anger. My speculation is that Cain was full of pride and really, really loved being better than his brother in everything. He was probably very competitive. He was likely a man with a big ego and thought of himself as superior when God himself exalted Abel his brother, and rejected him, he lost it. He just, he couldn't handle it. And it enraged him to the point of murder. To fix the problem, he eliminated the person who was better than him. Again, this is just my theory, speculation on it, but I think it's probably not too far off. A simple definition of anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. How many have been angry before? All right. How many lie? No, I'm just kidding. Everybody raise their hand, I think. Because we've all experienced this this feeling of anger. We sometimes say, I could feel my blood begin to boil. (laughs) Has that happened to you? There's almost a heat that comes over us when we get angry, a physical heat. Or we say that someone pushed our button. Our heart rate, it affects us physically. Our heart rate increases. Our mind races. They say it's actually really bad for our health to live in anger. It's an emotion, emotion with raging energy. It's often harnessed, actually, in battle. You know, the, uh, the commanding officer will work hard to provoke and bring out that anger uh, in, in, in the troops before they rush into battle, or in sports, You know, there's a great scene in the movie Miracle, which I've watched like a million times, where the coach just comes into the locker room and just goes off on the team and just cuts down and criticizes this one particular player. I mean, to the point where he was furious. And then the coach walks out of the locker room and kind of winks at the assistant coach and says, well, that'll get him going. And of course it it did. Uh, so anger can be harnessed for good. I admit I've done yard work at times 
with anger in my heart. Oh, it's a great way to do yard work. I mean, you just get it done. You get the job done, and you get it done quick. (laughs) So this definition is accurate, but doesn't explain the root cause of anger. And I really want to spend a little time here so you can understand this. Have you ever gotten really angry about something to the point that it surprised you? How you reacted? You think, why, why was I so bothered by that? Well, when you search your heart in answer to this question, you find a pattern. In most cases, we get angry because something we love is threatened or diminished or taken from us. That thing we love may be something good like God or people, but it is often an idol. Now, we've talked about idols before. An idol is something that the Bible talks about a lot, of course. It's something we love and look to for security, for worth, or happiness in place of God. And we are warned over and over in Scripture to get rid of idols. Some have called it a disordered love. We love other things more than we love God. And that's a huge problem. It's kind of like the root of where all of the other sins flow out of. So let me give you some examples. If I am angry because someone is, has unfairly uh, criticized me, it may be because I love to be well thought of, praised by people. My idol is praise of people. If I'm angry because the mechanic overcharged me, it may be because I love money too much. If I am angry that my spouse didn't do certain chores, it is because possibly I love comfort and ease and don't want any more work to do. If I'm angry that someone overlooked me, it may be that I love the attention that I get from that person. If I'm angry at someone for interrupting me, slowing my day down, causing me to lose time, it may be because I love my perfect plans. If I'm angry that others working on the project are steering it in a different direction, it may be that I just love to get my own way and I'm in love with my own ideas. When we tightly hold on to our idols, especially if we feel a certain right to them, we will be furious at someone who threatens them. Is this making sense? Right? We understand this. Now, there are examples of good anger, though, as well, okay? For example, a spouse might feel angry at the person who tried to seduce their husband or wife. Why? Because of love for spouse and a passion to guard the marriage relationship. That's a good anger. As a parent, if someone attempted to violate your daughter, I would think you would be angry. Can someone say amen? Why? Because you love your daughter. If someone does something to dishonor the name of Jesus... We get angry. 
Why? Because we love Christ. And we are zealous, kind of jealous for his name. If someone cuts us off and puts the whole family driving in the car in danger, listen, it's okay to get angry about that because you love your family, right? Now, before you get too excited about, oh, phew, it's okay to just lose our cool. When I say some anger is good, I don't mean that we lose control and unleash rage on people. That wouldn't be good at all. Good anger is controlled anger for a right or righteous reason. Amen? And it's honestly not something we commonly experience as, as Christians, as human beings. We're not very good at this, even though that's how God is. And Anger in itself, of course, isn't bad because we know that because God expresses anger often in the scriptures. And don't think it's just the Old Testament God, that old, old, old Testament God of anger, and now we have a, a different God. God just like cleaned up his act coming into the New Testament, and he's so nice now. Uh, you can find the greatest, most potent, powerful expressions of wrath and anger in the New Testament. Read the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. But anger in itself isn't bad because God expresses anger often, actually, in Scripture. And he is perfectly good and perfectly holy and full of love. Because God so loves his creation, he is angry at things that hurt it. Hebrews tells us Jesus loved righteousness and what? Hated iniquity. Love and hate are, they're not opposites in, in, in a holy heart, but they're together. They connect. They complement one another. So that doesn't mean Jesus was moody, right? And sometimes he was in a nice mood and sometimes Jesus was mean. No. Love and hate are all wrapped up together. Anger in its purest form is a part of love. That could be a whole other sermon in itself to talk about God's wrath and God's anger and understanding that, but that's for another day. This can get complicated with humans because motives can be mixed. For example... We may partly get angry with our child because we really love him or her, genuinely don't want them to head down the wrong path. But, listen, much of our anger may stem from our idolatry and pride of being praised by others as good parents. And the behavior of our child is jeopardizing that praise, touching that idol. So our anger is a, mixture of genuine concern, kind of righteous anger, and the idolatry of our reputation. Are you tracking with this? You get this? It's important to follow the trail of anger to its root, or else we will only see the righteous reasons we are angry. We've all done that. Now, because we live in this world and because we are creatures who love, we will be provoked to anger at our boss, at family members, at friends, at politicians, at the pastor, 
That happens regularly. At people in the church, at mother and father, at friends, cashiers, random drivers. I heard a statistic that in the last seven years, road rage has doubled. Wow. Our society seems to be getting more and more angry about everything. Just like unbridled, unfiltered rage and anger. Online, I mean, you can just see it. You know, somebody posts something, just read some of the comments. I mean, I don't really recommend this, but just, you know, once in a while, just, and people just tear each other apart with a viciousness. The goal of this message is not just to define anger, but to help us overcome it. I pray that you'd be able to discern between good and sinful anger in yourself, that you'd immediately identify when sinful anger surfaces so that you'd quickly know how to put it to rest. And more than that, I'm praying that we would all, by constant training, become people who are slow to speak, slow to become angry, characterized by the quality of meekness. All right, so that was a long introduction to a very short text that we're gonna look at. Just two simple verses, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, they say this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So this verse, uh, be angry, comes right from Psalm 4, where David, King David, is clearly dealing with some very difficult people uh, just lying about him and giving him a hard time. He talks to himself in this situation, or maybe he's remembering a, a phrase from a teaching. We're not exactly sure, but he, he's, he says this, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah, which means pause and think about it. Think about what I just said. That's Psalm 4.4. This is an interesting phrase, be angry. They almost have to do kind of a double take on, right? What, what, what? Be, be angry? I thought we weren't supposed to be angry. What does that mean? It seems like the opposite of what you'd expect the Bible to teach, right? And some of us grew up in really, really strict homes where you were not allowed to even begin to express a sliver of anger. But this verse is actually giving us permission to be angry. Why is that? Well, I think part of why scripture gives us this permission is because anger is such a human emotion that it's simply going to happen occasionally. And also there are righteous and good reasons to be angry. But to feel anger about something, even if it's not a righteous reason, will happen. And there seems to be in this verse, thank God for this verse, a measure of room given to feel that feeling and kind of work it through. Does that make sense? It's what we do afterward that matters. David allows himself to feel angry, but then goes to work silently, pondering in his heart to make sense of it. He doesn't want to sin. Which leads to this second 
part of these verses. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, before commenting on this strong warning about indulging in sinful anger, I just want to fly around the Bible and just give you some other verses, some other warnings about anger, just to kind of give us a little bit of a kind of zoom out and give us a big picture of what the Word of God tells us, teaches about anger. Of course, Jesus may be the most famous of all the verses, Matthew 21, or Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wow, that raises the standard. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I mean, that, that just raises it up to a level of seriousness that we need to watch the spirit of anger inside of us. Psalm 37, 8, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends or leads only to evil. Colossians 3, 8, but now you must put them all away, colon, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. That doesn't seem like you can let it stick around. Get rid of it. Get it out. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. James 1, 19 and 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Haven't we all seen that in the workplace, even in the church? I've seen it through the years. We've seen it in our family, amongst our family members sometimes, just somebody taught temper, just stirs it up, creates the drama. Come on, high school? You know, you think we'd graduate from this, right? But like the same uh, drama that happens in high school where one person is ripped and they just stir it up. I mean, to the point where in my high school, there were fights. I mean, serious fights, like you know, these five kids against like these five kids and right in the hallway, blood all over the hallway floors, crazy stuff would happen. And it all came, you know, boy, stemmed uh, down to one person being angry and stirring others up. Proverbs twenty two twenty four: make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. That's what scripture says. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much sin. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Yikes, right? Are you feeling that? It doesn't feel, I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want God to look down at me and be like, you have anger issues. Like, the, these are serious verses. And then back to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 26 that we were talking about before. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on 
your anger. So, you guys still with me? The permission here to be angry is immediately followed up with an exhortation to not sin. He's saying, sure, be angry. Be angry. You're going to feel angry at times, but see to it that you do not sin. In your moment of anger, fear God. Don't say anything sinful to someone you were angry with. Don't react. Be slow to speak. Don't indulge in anger. Hold your tongue. Be silent. As soon as anger surfaces, work. Immediately go to work getting rid of it in your heart. Now, we don't do that. We immediately go to work attacking the person that we're mad at. We don't like turn the pointed finger around at us and start dealing with our own heart. We're like going at the person. We should be going the other direction, running toward God and saying, Lord, no, I don't want to, this is not the right spirit. I don't want to be like this, God. This is, and you just start processing it before the Lord. There's an old school counselor, preacher named Jay Adams. I'm not sure if you've heard of this guy. He's a kind of a great communicator. I don't even know if he's still alive. Maybe he is. Um, but he uh, kind of got this from, from him in one of the teachings I listened to this week. Uh, we might say, but you don't understand. When I get angry, I can't control myself. My heart just takes over. I mean, you know, my blood begins to boil. I can't hold myself back from speaking words or throwing things. I just get so boiled, I can't help it. Well, as this uh, teacher, Jay Adams, cleverly pointed out, when we are angry, it is amazing how quickly we can shift our entire demeanor if suddenly somebody, like the, the doorbell rang. Oh, hi. How you do? Oh, thank you for the package. Yeah, you can just leave it right down there. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. We appreciate what you do, frontline worker. Or if the police showed up at the door, hi, officer, yes. Um, are you having a nice day? We can be angry with our spouse on the phone, and then the boss comes into the office, and suddenly we're in a completely different demeanor, right? Or we have to interact with someone at the drive that we're screaming at somebody we're mad at at the phone. And we, Hold on one second. Oh, yes, I would like a, a medium coffee with extra, extra sugar. You know, we're like so nut. Thank you so much. Here, keep the change. But it's kind of, it brings out a good point. We actually do have an amazing ability to control ourselves if we want to. And his uh, illustration there just kind of exposed that. And I was kind of giving my own slant to it, but the idea comes from him. When he says in this scripture, when Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, I just want to make the point that it was not meant to be taken literal. Even though I thought, it, literally thought this was how we were supposed to live for years. So my wife and I would get in an argument and I mean, just, oh my gosh, the sun is going down. <laughs> We got one hour. We got to work this through. We're both like so mad. We're like, you know, we can see the, oh my gosh, it's going down. It's going down. It's going down. We got to free. Come on. We got to figure it out. I mean, I'm, I'm making fun of it, but we really thought that. I mean, just in our innocence, I uh, don't want you to fall into this problem, okay? Because come on, think about it. 
If you feel anger in the early morning in Rhode Island during the summer, then does that mean you have like 15 hours to feast on your anger before, you know, right before the sun goes down? All right, I'm done. I'm done. Or what if you get angry 20 minutes before the sun goes down? Oh, man. Bad timing. You can't, you got to get this thing. What if you get angry just after sunset? Then what do you do? Is that like a bonus? Oh, phew. We got tons of, we got like a whole, sun hasn't even come up. Never mind, like gone down. You get the point, all right? It's a figure of speech, a hyperbole. What it does mean is deal with it as quickly as possible. Don't take your time. It's an urgent matter. That sometime is given implies that dealing with our anger isn't something that we can, you know, take care of in like 3.2 seconds, right? When the feeling of anger, the heart is complex. It's, there's, you know, following the trail to the root and it's like, what is going on? It's like an explosion in the heart and you can't clean it up in, in, in just two seconds or five minutes. But the point is to kill it and kill it quickly before it starts poisoning you and others around you. Anger is toxic. It is destructive. If allowed to remain in our hearts, it's kind of like cement. It just starts to get hardened in there. It turns to bitterness very, very quickly. It must be treated as something dangerous. Think, think of it as a toxic explosion that just happened in your heart. Like, you, you, we got to clean this mess up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy the heart. Now, what makes this a great challenge is that sinful anger, along with pride, by the way, is one of the least detected sins, right? Most people who get angry, they feel justified. Can we just let that sink in? We mask our anger in so many ways. We say, we're just hurt. Yeah, we're just, we're just frustrated. Or we're not, we're not angry. We're just upset. But in reality, we're angry. I mean, we didn't lift up our voice. We didn't yell at anybody, but we are angry in the heart. Or we assume that our anger must be a good and righteous anger. Because after all, I mean, we're so righteous, right? And we think of ourselves as so good and righteous. This is, listen, this is scary. Because we can be practicing sin on a regular basis for decades and not realize it and not repent of it and not make amends with people we damaged in our anger. And that can put us in a very dangerous place spiritually. Consider this verse from 1 John 2. Whoever hates his brother, uh, we could almost word that, anyone who just cultivates anger over time and just doesn't deal with their anger issues and because anger turns to hate, right? 
Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. People who are blind to their anger issues are often spiritually deficient and are just baffled as to why. You know, it seems like they do it. They go to church, they do prayer, they even may fast. They do some fasting, but they never seem to come into that sweet communion, that sense of the Lord's presence. And they see others enjoying that, but they, it seems like out of reach to them. And they'll never find it until they deal with their anger issues. I cannot stress enough the importance of doing what David did in Psalm 4. Get alone, be silent, search the heart, commune with God, kind of follow the trail of anger to the root and talk it through with the Lord. Now, the third idea in these verses is give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. I think the NIV says, uh, do not give the devil a foothold. Kind of a war, kind of a war metaphor of sorts. The point here is that sinful anger opens a Pandora's box of terrible things. This is a warning for us. Sinful anger leads to sin unless it is quickly dealt with. For example, I mean, there's just a few things. It, it can lead to us speaking words that we really regret. And by the way, you can't take words back. You've said them. You've said them in the moment of anger, and now they are just there. I mean, some of you can remember the exact words of anger that somebody that was important to you said to you in, in their heat. And you can't, it's hard, you can't forget. It can lead to hate, as I said before. It can lead to patterns of abuse. It can lead to violence. It can lead to breaking the marriage covenant. It can also lead to indulging in drugs and alcohol and sexual addictions, sexual sins, pornography especially. It's a way that people often cope with their anger. I mean, it's a thing with, with people who are drug addicts. What are the things? That's why in, in drug rehab centers, they always talk about, you know, what are your trigger points? What are the things that will trigger you to go back to your old addiction? Well, yeah, it's hurt. It's being hurt. It's being angry. That's why it's so important to overcome this, this issue. But it can lead to depression often. It multiplies, too. It doesn't just stay the same. You get angry at one person, then you're angry at two. You know, you've seen people that are flipping out on just random strangers for no reason. But, well, there is a reason. It's because they're mad at their mother or their husband or some other person. And they're fuming. And then eventually, it's just like you hate everybody. You hate the whole world. And we've, we've all met people like that. It's like they just don't like human beings. That's where it, that's where it goes. It doesn't stay at one level. I'm just going to be mad at this one person. I'm going to love everyone else. Yeah, good luck with that. It's not going to work. It hardens the heart, and it pulls us a 
away from the Lord. One of my old pastors in New York City, Bob Phillips, puts it like this. He says, he quotes actually Psalm 37, 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath, wrote the psalmist. Why? Because it leads only to evil doing. Once you give anger an open door to your heart, it will muscle its way into every room of the house and cause trouble in every area of your life. It will pollute your thinking and every aspect of your character and personality. This is not something we want to allow in our lives. Well, I want to bring it in for a landing and just kind of speak straight uh, to, to everyone here, to my own heart, to those who are listening in at home or those who will listen in later. And just because, I, I, like I said at the beginning, I don't want us just to understand about anger and how it works. I really want us to be uh, people who overcome this. I want to tell you kind of how it works. The more a person, and that person could be me or you, okay, uh, we're talking about us, justifies anger. The more a person justifies anger and allows it to fester and flare, listen, the more that person will be easily angered. They become the kind of person that is easily set off, easily offended. The slightest thing will provoke them, right? They go from zero to 60 in like two seconds. And listen, it's not just because, uh, you know, well, it's the, because they're Italian. I can say that because I'm Italian. It, you, no, we can't, bl- well, that's how, we, that's how I was raised. Well, okay, maybe you were raised to go from zero to 60 with your anger, you got to change that. That's not good. We can't blame it on our heritage or our ethnicity or anything like that. To live or work with someone like this is very unpleasant. That's to say it lightly. Really, it's oppressive to live or even work with somebody like that. The person living with someone easily angered has to walk on eggshells. They live in fear of the person's anger and end up pathetically appeasing them all the time to avoid conflict, right? The easily angered person is kind of a bully and they use anger to intimidate and manipulate to get their way. Come on, we've all, honestly, we've probably all had friends like that. You know, it's like, ah, you just say what they want you to say and don't say the wrong thing. And it's okay, they want to do, okay, that's fine. Okay, sure, we'll go to that restaurant. You just don't, don't argue with them. Just, you just got to be completely submissive all the time or else they'll snap. People around them, spouse or kids or employees, would rather just do what the angry person wants than deal with another angry punishment that crushes the spirit. Much of the world is ruled by angry people. Have you noticed that? Now listen, this doesn't need to happen to any of us. God wants to shape us little by little into people who are patient and meek and slow to anger to become the kind of people who can genuinely love those who have wronged us. Every time, listen, every time someone wrongs you, slights you, hurts you, slanders you or whatever. It is an opportunity to develop character. How we respond to these situations is what shapes our character. 
Instead of becoming people who are easily angered, we become patient, slow to anger, quick to forgive, and gracious. Now, I'm not saying this is easy, but it does get easier. The more you practice meekness, the more it will become your default response. Even when you experience evil, unjustly, just evil things against you. And isn't this what Jesus taught? Blessed are you, this is Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you. What? (laughs) Blessed. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Here's Jesus' recommendation. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. That's kind of an exaggerated, like, wow, I just got insulted. I just got unfairly criticized. Hallelujah. I mean, that's kind of what he's, he's being a little funny, but there's truth in this. And he gives the reason. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Focus on that, he's saying. And also, the fathers did this to the prophets. So instead of responding in anger, Jesus says, rejoice and leap for joy. This seems a little crazy, but it's possible as we learn to follow his ways. All right? So in in closing, listen. When sinful anger surfaces, just calm down. You know, first of all, just recognize it. Recognize it. Don't assume that it's righteous anger and that it's good anger. Assume that even if it is righteous, there's probably some sinfulness mixed into it. Just assume that. Fear God. Keep your mouth shut. Hold your tongue Walk away. Let emotions cool. Remember that it's not your job to exact justice. Commit yourself to him who judges justly. Let the Lord handle justice and avenge wrongs. Remember that Christ forgave a mountain of your sins. And it would be ridiculous to hold a grudge towards someone for something they did to us. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember who you'd be apart from grace and how unfitting it is for a sinner saved by grace to hold anger toward anybody. Run to God in your anger. Beg him for his love to be shed abroad in your heart. Get his perspective of love. Think about what Jesus tells you to do when you are hurt by others. Luke chapter six, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You might think this is a lot to remember in a moment of anger. But actually, these are things we should be meditating on daily. That's why it's so important to spend time daily in prayer and in the word so that we are ready for the evil day. So we're ready. So when the insult comes, when the criticism comes, when the injustice comes when somebody wrongs you in some crazy way, somebody betrays you. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, doesn't, there's not a grief there. 
but your default becomes, okay, Lord, oh yeah, this is what you this is what you told me about. This is what you told me to expect. Expect things like this. The same kind of things that you went through, I would go through as well. Oh yeah, that's exactly what you told me over and over and over and over again in Scripture. And so, Lord, I'm going to be like you in this moment when they hurled their insults at Jesus. Second Peter two says he did not retaliate, but he committed himself to the Father who judges justly. May we be like, like him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would shape our hearts. We want to be like Jesus, meek and lowly in heart. We want to learn from you, Lord. Uh, Lord, we know it's not, it's not the norm in, in society. It's very uh, normal for people to just, you know, somebody gets, does something to us, we're going to uh, give it to them right back. We're going to snap at him right back. Well, this is how we roll as humans. But I pray that we would be of a different spirit. I pray that we would be distinct. I pray that you would put the quality of meekness deep down into our hearts, that it would just seep into us, that when the wrongs come, Lord, that we can absorb them. Jesus, we need your help. I pray especially for those who do have anger issues and maybe they have cultivated anger in their life for so long they don't even recognize it as sin anymore it's just such a part of who they are it's part of their personality or maybe they were raised like that just feeding on anger sinful anger and they don't even recognize it as a sin Lord I I pray that you'd have mercy on those who are in that situation I pray that you would give them hope I pray that you would soften them I pray that you would break them. I pray that you would convict them and let them see it, God. Lord, I pray that you would grant them repentance and give them kind of a new heart, a new way of thinking. Change their mind regarding anger. Help them to fear the Lord. Lord, your grace is sufficient to take even the most angry Person, I mean, you changed murderers in the Bible. The Apostle Paul himself was filled with rage and murder, and yet he became meek. Moses killed somebody, and yet the Bible describes Moses as the meekest man on the earth. Lord, your grace is sufficient to transform us. So change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together in these closing moments if you want to stand. Thanks for listening. That was a lot of content this morning, but appreciate your good listening heart.